0: audio podcast network
1: welcome to whining about herstory where two longtime friends get drunk and talk about women you
0: may have never heard of i'm kelly and i'm drunk (laughs) (laughs) that's emily i'm emily no so uh scheduling problems, blah, blah, blah. We are recording two episodes in one day, so uh, we are one episode deep. (laughs) Which means one bottle deep. (laughs) Yep. And uh, we are ready to continue with the empowerment women's (gasps) history. So if we're a little extra weird, Yeah. No. know why. This shit is going to get crazy and empowered, and I'm so excited. I don't have any weird names in
1: my seconds. Like, I didn't even think about that. The universe just combined for me and was like no you're not you're not going to do any weird names for your second story that's okay
0: (laughs) because i probably would not be able to pronounce them i'm uh i'm actually really anxious about my story because it's kind of a bummer i actually i sent kelly a snapchat when i was doing my research and i was like that feeling when your story is super depressing Okay, I'll just whine and cry. I was going to say, we, we've we got the wine, so this is going to go one of two ways. We're either going to laugh inappropriately or we're going to cry.
1: <laughs> Maybe a little both. Who
0: knows? That's half the fun.
1: <laughs> Thank you for joining us today, though. We're really excited to have you here. Emily is going to tell you about our wine.
0: Okay, so I picked the wine and uh, I carefully picked this from the discount basket next to the checkout. I mean, it looks super cute. It's called Sheep Thrills. And you're not mishearing me. It's sheep like. Yeah, it
1: has like parachuting sheep on the front of it. It's so cute. It's
0: little sheep parachuting holding wine glasses. Do they have wine
1: glasses? Yeah, look. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) The the lead sheep has like one of those like aviator caps with the goggles on. Yes.
0: It's so cute. So like, you know why I picked this. Anyone would pick this. Yeah. So this is Sheep Thrills Pecorino Terra de Cite. I don't know how you say that. It's Good C-H-I-E-T-I.
1: So it's Italian, I
0: think. So I'm just going to read the back. Pecorino takes its name from Pecora, the Italian word for sheep. So I thought Pecorino was like a wine varietal I didn't know. No, it's just sheep.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a derivative of sheep.
0: For centuries, vintners in the mountainous pasture lands of Abruzzo have protected their grapes from the sheep who loved to snack on them. <laughs> Luckily, the sheep lost, and today we enjoy Sheep Thrills Pecorino, a delightful medium-bodied white with delicate floral aromas. Fle- fresh, not flesh, Jesus. Fresh tropical fruit flavors and lingering mineral notes. Delicious on its own or paired with seafood, sushi, white meats, and sheep milk cheeses, appropriate. Serve well chilled. We
1: did not! No. <laughs> I just noticed one of the hearts by the sheep is a heart. I mean, one of the clouds by the sheep is a heart. And then up here are hearts. What? Oh, yeah, it's like sideways. Yeah, like a heart, and then these are
0: hearts. Yeah, okay, it's like a sideways heart. That's cute. That's
1: what I do when Emily's reading the back of bottles.
0: Oh, I fucking love it. So I actually haven't had a taste of this yet. What are we cheersing to?
1: Um,. My husband making us smoothies between episodes. <gasps> yes, we went up. I went upstairs to get us water because you know it's important to hydrate when you drink.
0: Be responsible. And
1: my husband had just made smoothies, and I was like, "Oh, is that just for you?" And he's like, "No, there should be enough for all of us." So I was like,
0: "Oh yeah." Because remember, listeners, empowered men empower women. Cheers. <sniffs> Clink. Clink. Whoa, this is super muted compared to the last one we drank. It definitely doesn't have that like extra
1: punch of sour, but it has. I don't know, a note of something on the back end. Like, when you swallow it, like, it's not tart. It's just there.
0: You know, when I, like, smell it, like, I'm pretending I know wine, it smells a little sheepy. <clears throat> no, dude, like, seriously, check it out. Like, you know what I mean, like right?
1: wool, like fresh wool. Yeah, That's what it smells like, like a little right. barney. Emily's crazy. It's okay.
0: <laughs> I went with wool, not barn smell. Well... Hey, I'll still drink it. Guess gets me where I need to be. Also, I think we should each uh, cheers with these smoothies and take a taste. Cheers. That was super muted. That's because, aren't these like plastic no, glasses? No, these are glasses. Wait, wait, one more.
1: She hit it harder. She's trying to break my cups.
0: These are not like
1: glass. What? They- Ow. That was no idea. <laughs> no, they're definitely glass. I know my cups.
0: This is really good. What's in it? It's like coconut milk, honey, strawberries. And then
1: like a breakfast blend, which is like mangoes, more strawberries, and something else from Costco.
0: This is fucking delicious. I would die for this smoothie. Yeah. So if you're avoiding
1: dairy, which is my husband is, so you can't do yogurt, coconut milk is a really good alternative.
0: Plus, it's really a good. Flavor.
1: And then honey for sweetness instead of sugar.
0: I'm not the biggest coconut person. Neither am like, I, but I really like this. This is delicious. I'm fuck the wine. I'm drinking this. Welcome to Smoothing About History. I know at first
1: when he, when I saw you made them, I'm like, I wonder if we could mix our wine with that.
0: Maybe one time we'll there have wine like, smoothies. I was gonna say there are wine smoothies and we need to do that. Yeah, next time we're gonna do like a
1: daytime recording instead of a nighttime recording and it's nice out, I'll make wine smoothies.
0: Perfect. And then we'll uh record outside on the hammock and the audio quality will we'll be, be terrible. Shitty, but but we'll, we'll have fun. <laughs> <laughs> fuck yes oh my god this is so nice because we've been doing so many weeknight recordings where it's like we gotta get in gotta get done and then, yeah, and gotta then go. usually
1: one of us has to go
0: for one reason or another.
1: Yeah. even on fridays because we have to we get kicked out of the, the studio at like 6 30 yeah so it's nice to just be able to like screw around and then we have time like with each other too which is nice and That's time to catch just recording.
0: up on veronica mars <laughs> Cause we watch, we watch like the new the new season. Yes, out. I'm so excited. Promotion. So we like pregame our wine before recording, and we uh, watch Veronica Mars, and we're catching up on the old episodes, which, which we've seen most of. Yeah, I don't remember like half of it, so I I'm do. making. <laughs> so guesses. Emily's making comments, and I'm
1: trying like to hide my face so she can't see my facial expressions. Kelly knows everything that's
0: happening, and I'm like, the butler did it, and she's like, Emily, you dumb bitch. <laughs> it's
1: okay when we get like probably like a disc into season two or three that's when i like haven't seen anymore
0: i was gonna so. say season two i know how it ends season three i don't even think i ever got through yeah. season three i know i've seen part of it yeah i've never finished
1: it and then obviously we saw the movie together when it came out
0: and now even the old stuff is on hulu
1: yep they just released all of it on hulu so you can watch it all before the new new season starts
0: so i need to try be responsible because i love watching it with kelly but it's gonna be really hard not to watch it at home because she owns the DVD, so that's the reason I haven't like just watched it all yet. <laughs> watched it, yeah. But there's there's something really nice
1: about doing it together, like yeah. the commentary we can do and like the back and forth. Yeah, we I'd get be to so, like warm up. Watching it alone. Yep. Okay, right, let's jump into your depressing story. I get to go first. Right, we're still riding the wine wave from episode one? Yeah,
0: hold on. Let me uh, let me just take a sip here. Yeah, it just tastes sheepy to me, like (sighs) earthy. You know. Just start your. Okay, so I am covering Ruth Coker Burks, aka the Cemetery Angel, and everyone who knows who that is is just going, "God, Emily, no, don't!" (laughs) Everyone's like, "All right,
1: skipping the next forty-five
0: minutes." Yeah, because here's the thing: Um, we've talked about it before. The hardest stories to share are some of the most important ones. So I'm trying to keep this.
1: Okay. Light. My story is like more like funny than it is serious. So thank
0: you, Christ. <laughs> but good. like, I'm so I want to attack the story from a place of respect, but also like keep it light and palatable because I know I don't need any more depressing shit in my life, but well, I will try not to be inappropriate. No, no, you'll, you'll know, you'll know you're a good person. Okay. It was a visit like any other. 25-year-old Ruth had been spending a lot of time at the local hospital visiting her friend who was fighting cancer. Like every visit before, she passed a door covered in a red bag that read, Don't Enter, GRID, or Gay-Related Immune Deficiency.
1: So AIDS.
0: Yes. And that's what it was known as before they came up with HIV-AIDS because it was- it It was known as GRID? Yes. Okay. Super classy. The door was never opened, and even the nurses seemed afraid to enter. You see, it was 1984, in the heat of the AIDS crisis. There was a lot of misinformation, fear, and homophobia surrounding this mysterious illness that was rapidly taking the lives of more and more young, otherwise healthy gay men. Ruth, who had a gay cousin, was curious about the illness and the patient on the other side of the red door. She asked the nurses, whom she'd gotten to know well over her many visits, about the patient. They warned her, and this is in Alabama. Don't you dare go in that room. He's got the gay disease. They don't even know what it is. Don't you go in there. And that's my terrible southern accent because this is depressing. This is depressing, so I'm trying to, like, find the funny where I can. At the time, no one knew how AIDS spread Uh, Which is probably why the nurses wouldn't bring the patient's food into his room. Ruth could see trays of food piled up outside of the man's door. Trays he was too weak to retrieve. And she could see the nurses drawing straws to see who would have to go in and check on him. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Ruth recalled that she wasn't sure what made her enter the room. Maybe it was her maternal instincts as a young mother, or perhaps it was curiosity. Whatever it was, Ruth felt compelled to see the patient everyone was so terrified of. Lying in the bed was a man named Jimmy, and it was clear that he was dying. Ruth asked Jimmy if there was anything she could do for him, to which Jimmy uh, asked for his mama. I'm going to have to cut so much out because this is really hard. Like I was doing the research and I'm crying. So Ruth walked to the nurses and asked if uh, they could call Jimmy's mother. They replied, that man's mother is not coming. He's been here for six weeks. Nobody is coming. Though they weren't hopeful, the nurses gave Ruth the mother's number anyway. When Ruth called Jimmy's mother, uh, she first hung up. So, so Ruth calls the mother and the mother hangs up immediately. Well, no one hangs up on Ruth Coker fucking Burks. So she called back and said, if you hang up on me again, I will put your son's obituary in your hometown newspaper and I will list his cause of death. Because since AIDS was primarily only affecting gay people, it was like, not only are you dying, but you're being outed to your family and your family is is probably not going to be okay with it. And so that would be embarrassing to this, like, awful, terrible mother who probably shouldn't have had fucking kids. Uh, This caught the woman's attention. Really? (laughs) Yeah, long enough for her to say, I don't have a son. My son died years ago to me. He was a sinner. I don't know the man who's there, but when he dies, don't call me back. And then hung up because she's a bitch and I hate her. It's terrible. The nurses wouldn't help. The mother wouldn't help. So Ruth did the only thing she could. She went back to Jimmy's room, not knowing what she was going to say. But when Ruth took Jimmy's hand, he looked at her and said, Oh, mama, I knew you'd come. Ruth recalled that Jimmy started sobbing, but was so dehydrated he couldn't even produce tears. Ruth stayed with Jimmy for 13 hours until he finally passed away. That's I'm so going nice to give I'm going to give everyone 10 minutes to cry that out and process those feelings. <laughs> Pause. Okay, welcome back. I hope you had some tissues handy and your coworkers aren't looking at you like you're crazy. <laughs> Here we are. So Ruth was born in Hot Springs, Arkansas in 1958 or 1959. Literally, this woman is still alive and I could not find like her birthday. So Ruth Coker Burks, if you hear this, please tell us when your birthday is and we will send you presents because I fucking love you. Um, so she was born as Frances Ruth Coker Burks after her grandmother. As a child, Ruth's mother was under long-term hospitalization for tuberculosis. Wow! I can't believe that was still a thing in the '50s. Like I always think of it as an I mean, 1800s it's still thing around. Yeah, but I always think of like the sanatoriums. Yeah, I mean it was
1: rampant back because mm-hmm. it's just so catching.
0: Yeah. Um. So her mother was under hospitalization for tuberculosis, and Ruth's father acted as her primary caregiver until he died when Ruth was five. There's literally, like, nothing That's in the story that stops sad, being yeah. sad. <laughs> this left Ruth's mother struggling to be a parent while managing her illness. And there are so many parents, like, today who I'm sure are struggling with that, you know? Oh, yeah. It's like being a parent's hard enough, let alone fighting a horrible illness. Yeah. Ruth credits this too tragic for Disney childhood for giving her an incredible sense of empathy. For generations, members of Ruth's family had been buried in File Cemetery, dating all the way back to the 19th century. Holy shit! Let's take a moment to reflect how crazy that is. That's impressive. Yeah, I mean, like all your families in one place. Yeah,
1: usually, people either spread out or like cemeteries get full, or it's impressive.
0: Ruth's mother had a plot in the same row as her brother, Ruth's uncle. However, the two got into an argument, and in a move of incredible pettiness, which I aspire to be, Ruth's mother bought 262 grave spaces to ensure the uncle and his extended family couldn't be buried with the rest of the family. That's amazing. Like, I don't know what the argument is. I don't know who's in the right, but that's like a sass move like you're that's like, you a queen be in the same graveyard
1: but you're at least 265 graves yes! away from everybody else
0: <laughs> that's how many times you piss me off <laughs> <laughs> so those 262 plots were left to ruth and she had no fucking idea what she would ever do with them that is until that fateful day in 1984 It took a lot of phone calls before Ruth was able to find a funeral home that would take Jimmy's body. When she did finally find one, which was 70 miles away, they said they would only cremate him. And in a super classy move, they sent Jimmy's ashes back in a cardboard box.
1: I've heard about people doing that before. That's terrible. I'm like,
0: could you be any more shitty? Come on. This is literally your job. Ruth had to use a cookie jar for an urn,, Aww. and then she faced uh problem number two. No cemetery would take him like that's how people that's how scared and hateful but I people she were
1: the plots. Oh, this is before she thought of what to do,
0: yes. Like, Kelly knows where this is going, and you know where this is going, but Ruth in the moment was like, what the fuck do I do? Yeah, that's bullshit.
1: It's like, it's his ashes, people. Yeah, like, you're, wh- well, you
0: think you're gonna catch HIV and AIDS from
1: someone's ashes? Plus, it's like, what the are you the gonna do, down. like, break open the urn and sniff them?
0: Yeah, like, wh- what? What? Yeah. Stop it! God. That's crazy. So... Ruth used one of the 262 plots and buried Jimmy. She couldn't find anyone that would dig the hole or anyone to say a prayer. So Ruth took her daughter, who was so little she still had a binky, and dug the grave herself and said a prayer.
1: How do you know she was so little
0: she still had a binky? Well, there are a ton of interviews with oh, Ruth. Okay. So, so That's a lot right, because you said she's still alive. Yep. Yeah, so a lot of the information I've gotten are from interviews with Ruth, okay. which is really that's cool. That's amazing. Like she gets... She's only like, what, the second, maybe
1: third person we've covered that's still alive.
0: Yeah. By the way, uh, last month in June was the anniversary of Valentina Tereshkova's historic flight. Yeah. And I, I didn't know until like a week later. I didn't look it up. I was like, shit, we should have said that. But she's still alive and kicking. Right. I
1: know, I was say she, I think she might be the only other one,
0: well, and it's like uh, we were talking about with uh sore Juana, mm-hmm. how she took control of her narrative. Ruth is taking control of her narrative because she gets to tell her own story, yeah,
1: which is amazing,
0: fearing townspeople would deface the grave, she buried Jimmy on top of her father's grave, wow, yeah, wow, that's intense. Because like we, we have this uh, really deeply internalized view on how we need to treat graves and dead and people's bodies and remains. So She didn't
1: even use one of the 262.
0: Exactly. Yes. Yeah, no, she buried this guy who she had met once and watched die on top of her own fucking father.
1: So that it wouldn't be defaced. Wow. Yeah,
0: because she was afraid everyone would be like, oh, that's the spot where the gay guys buried. Let's like, like dig
1: him up and piss on it yeah. and be shitty. Yeah, that's terrible. Like the people, not... Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's amazing that she did that. So this may have been a one-off act of extreme kindness, but word got around about Ruth's deed. Then the phone calls started. Ruth began getting calls from others suffering from AIDS who needed help. Ruth recalled, quote, word got out... That there was this kind of wacko woman in Hot Springs who wasn't afraid. They would tell them, just go to her. Don't come to me. Here's the name and number. Go. I was their hospice. Their gay friends were their hospice. Their companions were their hospice. Doctors would not help these people. Nurses would not help these people. So Ruth and like the patient's friends would be their only means of medical and emotional support as they were dying. That's terrible, which means
1: they basically had no medical support.
0: Exactly. So referrals came from all over, including rural hospitals all over Arkansas. Because
1: they were just like, we don't want to deal with these patients, take them. Yeah. They're That's like, terrible.
0: I heard this rumor about this rando lady in Arkansas. So instead of me doing my job as a medical professional, call her, which Ruth, to her credit, fucking took it on. Good for her. But I'm like, dude, this is your job. Fucking do it. Yeah, that's it's sickening. Ruth began taking patients to appointments, helping them get financial assistance when they could no longer work, help them get access to medications, and provided general emotional support. Mm. So she's doing the bare minimum here, and I'm not saying she like cheaped out. No, not at all. Like because she had a life. She had a husband. She had right. a daughter. Like. I wonder how her
1: husband felt about all this.
0: But basically, she is providing just the most basic level of human kindness because no one else was providing it.
1: It's like a best friend.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it, like Jared, it does not have HIV or AIDS, but it's a lot of the stuff that I do as his caregiver. I take him to appointments. I schedule stuff. I help him. Like I make sure he's taking his meds and I provide emotional support and that like it's so basic. And the fact that these people weren't able to get that is disgusting. On their own is, yeah, Yeah. terrible. Getting medicine for patients was particularly difficult since a lot of pharmacies flat out refused to carry them. And that, I'm like, you can't tell me you were afraid of catching anything. You're just being a homophobic dick.
1: (laughs) That's terrible.
0: When her patients died, they would leave Ruth their unused medications. Uh, She would stockpile these meds to use for patients who couldn't get access. So she became like her own little pharmacy. As a real estate agent, uh, Ruth couldn't finance everything herself and relied on donations. She partnered with drag clubs and gay bars to host fundraisers to raise money. Ruth said, quote, They would twirl up a drag show on Saturday night and here would come the money. That's how we'd buy medicine. That's how we'd pay rent. If it hadn't been for the drag queens, I don't know what we would have done. So she's what I was wondering, because obviously
1: these people are coming from all over Arkansas. Like, that that was my question. Like, where Mm -hmm. are they living? So they must have put them up somewhere. Yeah. That's amazing. Like, that's community right there like
0: right and it i always i feel like i keep going back to this in our episodes but it makes me think of Marsha p johnson sylvia yeah. rivera they weren't just rejected by the heteronormative society they were rejected by their own community so just to so see hard. this community coming together to support each when other heteronormative is beautiful. people
1: are afraid of this disease doctors are not helping and you. the community that at large that should be more wary of the disease is like you know what you're one of us We're going to help you.
0: Right. And just a heads up if you're interested in going into the medical field, but you're not comfortable with treating gay people or people of different ethnicities or drug users or something like that, don't fucking do it. You do not belong there because everyone deserves adequate health care. It does not fucking matter who they are. Okay. Okay. We're good. We're going to move on now.
1: When pati- Don't violate your Hippocratic Oath. Baby.
0: Right. Like that's why it's there. <laughs> when patients would die, Ruth would always contact their families and try to get them to claim their bodies. So she wasn't just like, you, like she was making yeah. an honest effort to get families to step up to the plate. They uh, were rarely compassionate and would even pray at her. Yes. At her. Like she recalled one time when like a like someone's family was like praying at her like they were trying to exorcise satan like it was an aggressive move. And I'm like don't fucking weaponize prayer like that you psycho. Stop.
1: Right, like she was there with your child at, or whatever
0: as they died. And How you dare refused you? to be there. Yeah, that's the least like uh, can we remember that Jesus hung out with sex workers and lepers? Yeah. Fuck all of you. I'm I'm so... I'm as upset as I am angry, like... Right? This That's, whole like, thing. depressing
1: and, yeah, angering.
0: So Ruth continued burying her patients on her family's plot. She would bury them over existing graves, again, to discourage vandalism. And the fact that that was even a concern is just another layer of I'm tragedy. I'm surprised whoever,
1: like, owned the graveyard wasn't like, dude, you can't do this. Well, because
0: she owned all the plots. But
1: those were empty plots, weren't they?
0: Yeah, but she... But she was left her family's plots and the empty plots. Okay. So she, she had yeah, okay, the right to now. do it. So when her daughter was old enough, she would help Ruth, too, carrying her own little spade while Ruth would carry a post digger to help them dig the graves. Oh, also she can, like, cookie jars because these people's ashes are getting sent back in cardboard boxes. So all these people are buried in yeah. fucking cookie jars.
1: Which, Which hey, if you can find a nice cookie jar, that's, that's oh, not bad. Oh,
0: God. I mean, please. <laughs> I want to be buried in one of those cookie jars where you try to put your hand in I'm and it, like, yells down. at you. <laughs> Fuck you. Of the thousands of patients Ruth cared for, she buried just over 40 on her family's plot.
1: Wow. I mean, that's that's actually, a, if she cared for thousands, that's a pretty small number, but at the same time, wow.
0: Yeah. But imagine all of the people who didn't have a Ruth in their lives.
1: Exactly.
0: Because of the care and support Ruth provided, her patients actually lived longer than the natural national average life expectancy for HIV and AIDS patients. This caught the attention of a little organization called the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, uh, who sent researchers to investigate. Let's remember, she is providing the most basic level of support here. And the CDC are like, huh. Maybe there's something to this. Maybe no there's shit. something to people having access to medications well, and, and not being f- treated food? like the devil. <laughs> and yes. food, because
1: like the one that you said, Jimmy in the hospital, his food was just being left outside his door and he was too weak to go get it. Yes.
0: And he was so dehydrated, he couldn't cry. Yeah, that's bad. What? Yeah. Stop. <laughs> okay. So the CDC
1: is coming to research. Yeah.
0: Dur- even during Bill Clinton's presidency, Ruth worked as a consultant for AIDS education. And I, I didn't include this in the notes. And I figure if I remembered it, I'd mention it. She was friends with Bill Clinton as a child. Interesting. So, so what did Ruth get for all of her incredible work? Her community and church shunned her. Yeah, Classy. <laughs> when she tried to tell people what had happened to try and raise the alarm, they wanted no part of it. One prominent doctor
1: Well just Well just Hey people
0: are fucking dying and they need help. We should do something. Yeah, okay. No. Nope. One prominent doctor told her, quote, I will tell you here and now I will never have an AIDS patient in my office. Fucking doctor, man. That's terrible. Like God.
1: That just makes me angry. I want to reach through the computer. If that guy's still alive, you're an asshole.
0: Sir, you are an asshole. You have the whining about history stamp of assholery. We just made it up for you. For you. you. (laughs) We're not saying no one else is going to get it, but we made it for you. Here and now. Ruth was on the finance committee of her church and asked if she could use one of the Sunday school classrooms at the church for support meetings once a month. The minister of the church said... In front of everyone for added shittiness, quote, surely you aren't talking about bringing those people into this church, are you? I made him British because I imagined him as a British do-like hmm pompous <laughs> twirling his mustache yeah. even though this is Arkansas. <laughs> well, Ruth collected herself and responded like a lady saying, oh no, I'm not talking about bringing those people into this church. Instead, I'd like to walk those people across your new $30,000 lawn and into your new $300,000 home and sit their asses down on the $40,000 worth of new furniture this church has just bought you. That's what I'd like to do with those people. I think we need to fucking cheers yeah, to that's that. Badass.
1: She's like, you just spent the church, spent all of this money on you, yeah, and you're you're being shitty enough to be like those people.
0: Fuck you. Also, should I become a minister because if this fucker is a- being able to afford a three hundred thousand dollar house, right? And what f- and furniture? What? Yeah, I can't even afford a thirty thousand dollar lawn.
1: Right? I know. I'm like, man, I can't afford any of those things. That's like what my
0: house is worth. What? Yeah.
1: Wait, your house is only worth thirty thousand dollars. No, but okay. <laughs> I was
0: like, um... I'm exaggerating. But seriously, like... That's insane. And this is a man of God. Let's just remember, like, people are people, and being part of the church doesn't make you a good person. Also, like, Ruth, you're a fucking queen. Right, I love Polite golf claps to you, Way to call him out. When the medical community began pulling their heads out of their asses and attitudes towards AIDS began improving, Ruth worked as a fishing guide and funeral director in Florida.
1: Fishing guide? Yeah. Okay.
0: It's... I love that, like, oh, well, you know, I'm normally a funeral director, but in my off time, I'm like a part-time fishing guide, and I conduct funerals in my uh, fishing hat, and I, you know, got the little hook sticking out of it, and I, uh, as a a symbolist thing, I cast a lure as a symbol of the spirit moving on to the heaven, (laughs) and... I don't fucking know. <laughs> I'm making this up, but I, it's just such a weird thing. Yeah, it,
1: that is a weird combination.
0: In 2012, Ruth suffered a stroke and had to relearn how to talk, read, feed oh. herself, and write, and do other everyday tasks. Actually, uh, one of Jared's relatives—I think I told you about this. She had like three strokes. Yeah, and it can I be just devastating. I just saw pictures of her on like. Luckily, she's going to be okay. They don't think there's going to be any lasting effects, but obviously, she's got to go through therapy. But she was able to go hiking with her husband and son and, like, go camping. And Aww. I was like, honey, you just had, like, three strokes a couple months ago. You are killing it. Right. Um, so she believes the stress from caring for AIDS patients actually contributed to the stroke. And by that, I think she means that uh, everyone else's shittiness while she was caring for AIDS patients contributed to her stroke because it shouldn't have that she been was, like, that all hard. Alone. Yeah, it shouldn't have been that difficult. Yeah. She moved back to Arkansas to be closer to her family and also because her health insurance dropped her after her stroke jesus christ american health
1: care that's terrible this is
0: 2012 i know like in 2013 she heard about three foster children who were removed from school due to rumors that one might be hiv positive i imagine like an old grizzled cop she said i'm getting too old for this shit before she began advocating for the kids good First of all, there's a test for this. Like, why are you fucking pulling all these children out of school over rumors? And second of all, children still get an education. Like, what the fuck right? are like, you doing? Right, like, I'm pretty doing?
1: sure by law in 2013, all kids under the age of, like, 16 have to have an education. Right.
0: Uh, she appeared on TV as an HIV advocate, naturally. Her community shunned her. And the funeral home- Times two. Yeah. Double deuce. Yeah. <laughs> So, the funeral home where she had worked, who basically said, like, hey, when you're better, you can come back. And she had a standing job offer there. And they
1: were like, fuck no.
0: Yeah, they, uh, they pieced out of that one. Fuck you, Florida funeral home. Goddamn. Also, no one else would hire her. A local Walmart allegedly destroyed a chair she had sat in after finding out about her HIV advocacy. Again, this is 2013. It is 2019 right now. Yeah, that's only that six is years 6 ago years ago
1: in Arkansas.
0: And you know screw you. Arkansas and Florida. Florida. <laughs> Here's the thing. Florida has Florida man. You guys are fucking sucking right now, yeah, okay? <laughs> there is a website where you can type no. in your birthday and find yeah. the, your own Florida man like, headline. And the
1: sad thing is like it's true. Like all those stories you hear about like a man in
0: Florida did this, they're true. That shit happens in Florida. Oh, my God. But like, you know, so I was talking with my boyfriend about this. When we hear about HIV and AIDS, like, it's not a death sentence anymore. Not it's not as significant as it used to be. But I didn't realize, like, this is steer- still, like, seriously destructive. This is 2013. Yeah, that's terrible. And people have these horrible, toxic attitudes. And you know what it does? It kills people. It doesn't do anything to help. You just get to be shitty and everyone else dies around you. Yeah. Way to go. Okay. In 2016, Ruth, along with other HIV AIDS advocates, were honored at New York City's Pride Week by nonprofit Aww. group Broadway Sings for Pride. Ruth is also working on creating a memorial for AIDS victims and turning File Cemetery into a garden.
1: That's the one that she owns, like, the majority of, right? <laughs> yep,
0: yep. So that's where all the, the patients she cared for are buried. We should, we should put that on our list. I fuck, that's literally the only reason I would think I would ever go to Arkansas. Tell me other cool Maybe, things are in can Arkansas. We, like,
1: go to Arkansas and see if she'll talk to us. Oh my God. I'd probably cry. I, I know, just, I'd like, like hug her and just start like bawling my eyes out.
0: I'm so sorry. Everyone's so mean. Everyone's an asshole and you're a fucking gem.
1: She'd just be like, come to Minnesota. Okay. We're not assholes.
0: <laughs> well, here's the thing that, that, that's like when people say, oh, if you don't like what we're doing here, get out. No. I need to stay and fix it.
1: You need to change.
0: Yeah. Okay. Legacy. Jimmy's story and those of the thousands of people Ruth helped were not unique. Imagine all those people who didn't have anyone to claim and bury their bodies. Like the community really had to come together to take care of these people after they died. And not everyone had that. So just like let that sadness sink in for a moment. Okay. While HIV's. HIV and AIDS is no longer a death sentence like it used to be. It's still a serious issue that affects a disproportionate amount of black, Latino, and LGBTQ plus community members. According to the Kaiser Family Foundation, 15% of of people infected with HIV don't know it, which is why it's so important to use protection and get tested every three months if you're sexually active. Did you know it's illegal? If, If you know you're positive and you
1: don't share that with your partner... You can be arrested.
0: Yeah. I get that because the because person is able to use caution. Yep.
1: I'm just letting, I was just, right. for the audience at large, if you didn't know that, there's your fact of the day.
0: But that's so scary that 15% of people don't, don't know. know it. That's terrible. Yeah. And as for Ruth, She's currently working on a memoir of her story and working on a film based on her life and the book, which as far as I know is not completed yet. So like she's on top of it. Let's also remember she had a stroke and had to learn how to write again and her memory right. was fucked up and she's still doing this.
1: That's amazing.
0: Kelly, you can bet your ass I am dragging you to the theater to hold my hand while I sob for two hours. Okay. I put that in my notes. This is happening. How will
1: do it. I will happily do it.
0: In 2017, uh, Rose McGowan wrote and directed an unauthorized short film titled Ruth, inspired by Ruth's work. And Ruth still cares for the graves in her family plot and advocates for for better care for HIV and AIDS patients. The cemetery has become a pilgrimage site for those affected by the crisis and a place for them to remember those they lost and say goodbye, even if they aren't buried there. And I'm going to whine cry.
1: I wonder if they ever moved the people that she buried on top of her family, so they could have like independent gravestones.
0: I think that would be a really sweet idea, but considering that she was completely shunned by her community as recently as 2013, Er, (laughs)
1: spades.
0: (laughs) We'll do it. I'm just gonna like bring a whole bunch of flowers and cry. But like, I mean. I you think like the AIDS crisis affected so many people and they had to suffer in silence because we refused to acknowledge this was happening. Right. Well, I mean, because not we we were well, we were not talks. you and I, but <laughs> but as as, as a, a society, world, as a community, yeah. And not everyone knows where the people they love ended up. Not everyone had a place to bury them. So the fact that people can come and visit the site, whether they know someone there or if it's just a symbolic thing. I mean, that's really beautiful. And Ruth is still fucking killing it.
1: Yeah. I mean, she uh, the fact that she went through all of that, suffered a stroke and is now like, no, I'm going to write like, fuck you all. I'm writing my story. I'm making a movie.
0: And you know what I love is that this story would have been incredible had she just helped Jimmy. I can't say I would have gone into that room, you know?
1: No, with the fear mongering and everything going on in that time frame. Yeah,
0: because no one knew how it was spreading. And like, okay, well, medical professionals are scared, so I should be scared. I know. that That's incredible. Yeah. And... Had she just helped Jimmy, this would have been a story worth telling. But the fact that she kept going is insane. And yeah, I And the think- fact
1: that when all these pe- like random people just started calling yeah. her and that she was like, All right, yeah, c- come on, I'll help Let's you. Let's do
0: this. Strap in people. This is happening And the fact
1: that her daughter obviously picked up on it too, like, and I assume her husband was somewhere.
0: At I least never she read about him. So she may not have been married. I don't know. That's true i was gonna give him props but maybe i won't hey ruth if your husband was cool he gets props if he didn't have one you get props i don't i mean you care. get props either way yeah you're fucking awesome Because obviously
1: he didn't really play a big part in the story
0: well this is this is her story you know and i it think is. she deserves this, is. this and, is
1: whining about her story? yes
0: <laughs> we are whining so hard about you ruth i think she deserves an extra cheers I I was doing the research for the story and I kept like having these like little mini crying fits because it was so sad. I'm like, I don't know how I'm actually going to tell this. I don't
1: want to tell my story now because it's like that was so serious and moving. And mine is really these women didn't really do anything like super amazing. I just thought they were kind of cool.
0: Here's the thing, though, like being a woman and being badass, like... We shouldn't use one woman's story to invalidate another. So I'm whoever you're invalidating, covering, them. I'm just... I want to hear them. And honest to God, our listeners are going, Kelly, I am crying. I need you to bring me back up right now, and you will deliver. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, okay. okay so just get yeah, into it, then. That's that's Ruth Coker Burks. I am done. See, I guess I, praise her, I and I'm assumed
1: done. she was married, which I shouldn't do, but I'm guessing that's a hyphenated name.
0: I don't know. Hold on. I I had her like full birth name. Okay,
1: so it doesn't look hyphenated, but that doesn't mean it's not two last names. Yeah,
0: she. So she was uh, born as Francis Ruth Coker Burks. So she actually dropped a name. <laughs> but you know what? Long names are worth saying. Yeah, they are. It's like a power move, man. I should tell a I should tell people to address me by my full name in the future because I want to see them out of breath from saying it.
1: it. Doesn't look like she's married. I don't see anything on her Wikipedia page. That Here's says the thing, though. About- I couldn't
0: even find her actual birthday, and this lady is still alive. <laughs> um, maybe sh- that's intentional. Do you think she's on Twitter? Can we find her on Twitter and follow her and wish her a happy birthday? But We don't know when her birthday is. Well, I'll find out from her Twitter. <laughs> I'll she, ask her. She's I'll DM some- her. I like.
1: According to Wikipedia, she's somewhere between age 59 and 61. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because it was like uh, 58 or 59. Yep. That's very interesting. I'm sipping on smoothie and it's delicious. And I'm so happy. I need this. All right. I guess I'll just start on mine then. Please do. So I'm
1: covering... Two women, actually, but their stories intertwine. They are known as the Queens of the Sydney Underworld.
0: Ooh, like Sydney, Australia?
1: Yep. Yep. Oh, I fucking love this. (laughs) This is dark. I love it. So the first person I'm covering um, is named Kate Lay. Uh, She was born March 10th, 1881 in Dubbo, New South Wales. The eighth child of a Roman Catholic family, because you know, no birth control. (laughs) We don't believe in birth control. (laughs) Um, her parents were named Timothy Behan, who was a bootmaker, and his wife, Charlotte. Her childhood and teenage years included childhood neglect, time in a girl's home at age 12, and an out-of-wedlock pregnancy. Her daughter, Eileen May Behan, was born in 1900. That is it. That is all you will hear about the daughter. Okay. <laughs> like a side note. She I'll had say- a daughter out of wedlock in 1900. That's one hell of a childhood. In 1902, Lay married... James Ernest Jack Lay. So that's where she got her last name. He was an illegal bookmaker and petty criminal. A legal bookmaker? Like, I think that's, you know, when you have a shop and you have, you keep the books and then you have like a secret book. So you're like shoving profits. He was the person that would do
0: that for people. That's what I assume. Like a dirty accountant. I thought he was like copying published books and selling them for cheaper. (laughs) Like, if (laughs) I copied Twilight off of the internet and sold it, (laughs) that would be funny. No,
1: at least I don't think so. They separated in 1905 when he was imprisoned for assault and robbery. Classy. Following his trial, Kate was convicted of perjury and for being an accomplice to the assault after being accused of lying under oath to protect her husband. Her conviction was overturned on appeal. They f- they finally got an official divorce after the trial. Or no, they didn't get an official divorce until
0: 1921,
1: though. So Damn. like Their marriage ended after the trial, but they didn't get, like, officially divorced mm-hmm. for, like, 20 years. So... In the early 1900s, Sydney made um, a 6 p.m. drinking curfew because they're smart.
0: We're getting Um, dangerously close to breaking that curfew. And Kate got
1: straight to work taking advantage of that and opening a chain of illegal after hours bars. Get it, girl. Then when Australia made cocaine illegal, she took advantage of that, too. Buying all the coke she could, marking it the fuck up, and selling it exclusively. Snort it, girl! No, I'm kidding. We don't advocate for cocaine use. <laughs> so throughout all this time, she earned her income variously. Um, so the the bars she opened were known as a Sly Grog. She was known as a Sly Grog Trader, which is another name for a speakeasy or a saloon.
0: Oh, so she was like a bootlegger. Yep. Except yeah, she was essentially
1: a... <laughs> a sp- an owner of a speakeasy, but they okay. called it Sly Grog in Sydney.
0: Because they don't have any sense of beautiful language. They just make right. it sound as ugly and dirty um, as possible. Obviously,
1: she was also a drug dealer. And she also became a madam. Ooh. So a brothel owner. Triple threat. <laughs> she became a major New South Wales underworld figure and has been referred to as the queen of the underworld. But there's two of them.
0: God, that's so fucking bad. We'll get to the other. Title. So I,
1: I'm doing them separately, and then I'm I'm gonna do them how
0: like they in- interacted. Yeah, merge them like a transformer from no. nine. <laughs> uh, uh oh, God, what what do they call them in Power Rangers? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. The, the, um, like the Power
1: Ranger people are.
0: Motherfucker, I'm too drunk for this. Not Autobots. Fuck, that's off-brand Transformers. Anyway, we need to move on. This is too much. I'll, right. I'll shout it out inappropriately yep. in the middle of Kelly's story when I think of it.
1: So, from 1919 to 1995, Kate's main enterprise, as I said, was the highly profitable Sly Grog trade.
0: It was a Zord. I <laughs> <laughs> like that it took me remember. half a sentence. <laughs> no, I knew the second you started talking, it was the Megazord. Yeah. <laughs> Moving Fuck. on. Okay, I'm sorry. So,
1: Sly Grog trade, which at its peak, Kate ran at least oney sly grog outlets and although she made much of her fortune from the illegal sale of alcohol kate is reported to have never drank or smoked
0: they say that smart dealers don't use their product
1: there you go kate also exploited the passage of the dangerous drug act as i mentioned because it provided such a lucrative high demand for cocaine and she made a lucrative illicit criminal distribution network Ooh. She's like early criminal LinkedIn. Right. She derived her supplies from a corrupt network of doctors, dentists, chemists, and sailors, and amassed a considerable amount of wealth from this activity as well. These activities, the defense and the defense of these business turfs, an ongoing feud with rival organized crime leaders in NSW, which is. Not safe for work? No, New South Wales. (laughs) No, that's NSFW, which this podcast is. (laughs) Led Kate to be a prominent figure in Sydney's brutal razor gang wars of the 1920s and 1930s. Oh, Jesus. We'll get into that later. The police also intensively policed incoming vessels for overseas cocaine suppliers, but it was naval transit restrictions in World War II that led to a devastating interruption of Kate's overseas cocaine supplies. Kate did personally get involved in some violence throughout her years, um, though she was never convicted of any of the offenses. If the glove don't fit.
0: No, that's terrible. On I'm March sorry. 27th,
1: 1930, she shot and killed John William Snowy Prendergast when he and other gangsters broke into her home. She was not in- indicted for the killing or for the shooting of Joseph, Joseph McNamara in the crotch nearby in, Liver- in Liverpool's... Saint darlinghurst in she thir- 1931. She shot a dude in the balls? Yeah, that's what it says. It oh says my in god. The
0: Wait, I'm sorry. She was she was gotten trouble for killing a guy who broke into her home? No, she didn't. She was never Oh, indicted. Oh, okay.
1: She was never on um, either of those charges. She was oh, okay. she she was involved in violence and never charged for it.
0: Man, you yeah, know with a nickname like Snowy, do you
1: think he was into cocaine? Mm, maybe. Maybe. Kate was, however, imprisoned on drug-related charges. In July 1930, her house was raided by a drug squad and she was found in possession of cocaine and sentenced to 12 12 months imprisonment. Bummer. Through alleged personal connections throughout officialdom, that was the word they used, (laughs) um, she continued business throughout the 1930s and 40s, even while in jail. Despite frequent police relays and a mass of minor convictions... Um, just a side note, she was char- she was charged on 107 occasions, but was only sent to prison on 13. Jesus. Yeah, the other one is worse, or has more. Appearing in courtrooms with flamboyantly expensive clothes and diamonds, her wealth was legendary. When uh, um, appearing in court, she would wear diamond ha- rings on every finger of both hands. During her heyday, she owned and operated... So the, the Sly Grog hotels that generated thousands of pounds in profit annually. She like the cocaine queen. Yeah. And Sly Grog queen. She lived in a terrace house um, from 1933 until the house was demolished in 1950. Mm. Um, the house that she lived in was also used as her main illegal hotel and Sly shop. Yeah. Jesus. At the time, it was known as the Lansdowne Hotel. Not to be confused with the legal Lansdowne Hotel. Yep. (laughs) Wait, so there were.
0: So it's like when you're talking about, oh, I'm sitting at the Lansdowne Hotel.
1: Okay, wait, the legal one or the illegal one? Right. I mean, the illegal one got demolished, but. There are two kinds of hotels. (laughs) So her then de facto husband and bodyguard, Henry George Jack Baker, was shot outside this house by the well known Sydney criminal, John Chow Hayes, in 1938. The house was also raided again in 1938. (laughs) So like a month after the shooting, resulting in 48 bottles and four kegs of beer being confiscated. Three months later, a police witness stated that the premises was a notorious sly grog shop, the worst in Sydney, and she was sentenced to another six months in prison
0: So, when for, did- se-
1: for selling liquor without a license.
0: When does Prohibition in Australia end? Because uh, for it's us... It's coming to that. Okay, because for America, it was uh, through the 1920s, so about 10 years, and that ended in 1930-something. But for, for them, we're already in the 1930s. It's still like, no booze. So um,
1: we are skipping ahead to her death, just because there's a chunk of the story I can't tell with involving the other lady, okay. but I'm going to tell her whole story, and then, yeah. yeah. Okay. Kate was undoubtedly one of Sydney's wealthiest women during the 1930s and 40s, but the taxation department sent her into bankruptcy. So it wasn't the police that destroyed this woman. It was the tax man. Um, oh, my God. Because they got her for unpaid income tax and fines dating back to
0: 1942. Fucking Al Capone, man. Taxes will get ya. Following
1: that, in 1955, the government changed the law to allow legal hotels to serve alcohol until 10, which ver- which virtually killed off most of the sly grog trade. Yeah. Um, And obviously put her out of business. Her famous quote to the Australian media was, the bloom has gro- gone off
0: the grog. <laughs> I love that. I also love that, like her job becoming more legal fucked her over.
1: Right? Um, so for the later part of her life, she lived in virtual poverty in a small room above one of her old illegal hotels. She was financially dependent on her nephew, who ran a mixed business in the shop in the downstairs part of the house. Okay. She suffered a stroke on the 31st of January 1964 and was rushed to the hospital. She died on February 4th and her funeral was held at St. Peter's Catholic Church. And she was. it was attended by over 700 mourners. Holy shit! The press remembered the wily woman not only for her crimes, but for her patriotism and generosity to the poor. That comes in more. I didn't really talk about it in her original thing because it was linked. right? But she was very, like, besides being wealthy and kind of flamboyant, she did a lot of, like, I'm going to give this to the food shelf and I'm going to give this to the poor. And so she was very generous with her wealth.
0: Well, that's like Pablo Escobar and Al Capone and all those big mobs of the day. They put a lot of money into their communities and kind of endeared themselves. exactly, Especially to the youth who then grew up and join the organization it's like it it's beneficial for me to invest yep. in this community who will then take care of me when yep. the police are bearing down well, on me a lot of her
1: um money also went to things to help australia during world
0: war 2 Ooh. because you know she was
1: that was kind of that time frame
0: god before I, she
1: got nailed by the tax man
0: i never think of australia in I know, World War know i don't really
1: know what they did i mean i think i know i think they were on our side i'm pretty sure they weren't nazis no but yeah so she was remembered for a lot of like her patriotism during that time because obviously you know she died only a few probably a few years after it ended Like that's
0: crazy what a complex lady yep she's just trying to make money You know, and she's taking advantage of uh, what's illegal and where the demand is, right? So, I mean, again, we are not endorsing
1: cocaine. No. Um, (laughs) So she is buried in Botany Cemetery, now known as the Eastern Suburbs Memorial Park, in the Roman Catholic section, twenty nine K, grave eight hundred ninety six. Ooh, she's buried as Kathleen Ryan, (laughs) which must have been her birth name. I'm guessing. Okay. Because nowhere else does it say anything about Ryan. The next lady is named Matilda Mary Devine. Um, but she went by Tilly.
0: So her oh, name why was would Tilly Devine. Why would... Okay. That's fine. I was like, why wouldn't you go by Divine? But Tilly Devine. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's a sexy name.
1: Tilly was born the daughter of Bricklayer Edward Twiss and Alice Twiss at 57 Hollington Street, Camberwell, London. So she's from the UK.
0: I'm twirling my imaginary British mustache. In 1915,
1: she and many um, English and Australia women were found working as prostitutes and thieves. So she got her start in the underworld pretty early.
0: Yeah. Because when you're poor, all there is for women is to be a sex worker and all there is for
1: guys to be a thief. Um, At 16, she married an Australian serviceman, James Edward Devine. And then they had one son who didn't even get named in 1919. That's it. That's all you hear about the son.
0: You know, hopefully he had, like, a really fulfilling and average life, and he just got to be happy, and that's why it's not worth mentioning. Right. Oh, the Oh, he was fine. He was fine. No one cares.
1: Though her career in prostitution began when she was a teenager, it continued after she was married. She and many English women uh, were usually found soliciting on the wide footpaths on the Strand at night. From 1915 to 1919, she spent time at the Bow Street Court and lockup for
0: prostitution, theft, and assault. Sex work? yeah okay isn't that what i said prostitution that's what it says <laughs> no 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 and and i know that i just i just want to make sure that we're kind of doing our due diligence and like you know has become a dirty word has it really yeah it's sex work or sex worker is the preferred term now okay. i'm not no I'm, that's fine i'm not trying to call you out i'm not trying to like shit on you know, so. no 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 and that and that's part of it. So anyone listening, we try to use appropriate terms. We don't always. I know I fucked up big time once. And... Also, I lied. Her son is mentioned again. Oh well, fuck him. I don't care. No. Kidding. Yeah, I will
1: do my best when it it gets brought up again. too. Okay.
0: Well, and a lot of the articles we do research off of don't use oh, and the it's appropriate term from back then. Yeah.
1: Um. Okay. So she spent years. Blah blah blah. When when her husband, Jim, returned to Australia, she followed him back on the brideship, Wamana. So that the brideships were like when the when the servicemen married people, they had like an extra ship oh, because yeah. they couldn't ride back on the ship with the servicemen. Right, right. Yeah, it was so like the, bride uh, ship. the wives of war or whatever. Yep. So she arrived in Sydney on the 13th of January in 1920. Here's the son again. Her son stayed in London and was brought up by her parents.
0: And then he lived a happy life and we yep, don't care. That's what we're, that's what we're saying. Cool. Both
1: Tilly and Jim Devine rapidly became prominent illegal narcotics dealers, brothel owners, and crime gang members in the Sydney criminal milieu. Milieu. I love that word. Tilly became infamous in Sydney and initially as a sex worker, then later as a brothel mad- madam. Is brothel still okay?
0: I I think so. I don't. Really I don't know, know the what other, other word term. for that. Yeah. Here's the thing. I'm not super woke. Like I don't know all the words. So here, let us know. Thing. Email us at whiningaboutherstreet well, at gmail.com. But be com. polite about it.
1: Yeah, don't like, be don't a call dick. us
0: assholes. But, you know, we, we want to do our best. And if we're not using the appropriate terms, please let us know. Yeah. And we'll even give you a shout out if you're not an asshole about yeah. it. Otherwise, I'll pretend I came up with it all by myself. So,
1: <laughs> yeah. So she was initially a sex worker and then a brothel madam. And she was also an organized crime entrepreneur. <laughs> I That's love instead it. instead organized crime boss. Organized crime, entrepreneurs. So, uh, while New South Wales was making all of these other things like illegal, like sick after six p.m. drinking, just finish the bottle.
0: I don't think I can. Here's the I thing. already
1: took my second glass, so just finish the bottle.
0: I I love the name of this wine. I love the description. This is the first wine where I'm like, it's not I'm that, that great. Excited yeah. about it. And here's okay. the thing. That's just me. But I finished I'm my glad. smoothie. Oh, I didn't. So me. I need
1: more wine and water. Um, So they passed the Vagrancy Act in 1905, which prohibited men from running brothels. It did nothing to stop women with criminal gang support and bribes from the police from running criminal enterprises, though. I kind of fucking love that. So she was basically (laughs) like, well, you said men can't. I'm not a man. Yeah. Historian Larry Ryder has noted that the Divines ran a diversified operation. And I'm sorry if this is offensive, but this is literally what they called them at the time. Okay. Elite, quote, call girls... ...were available for politicians, businessmen, and oversee guests of significance, while, quote, tenement girls were young working-class women who resorted to casual sex work to supplement their drug spendings, clothings, and meager earnings during times of Australia criminal and narcotic culture, and absence of a, of a comprehensive welfare state and unemployment."
0: Okay, so there's one where this is their full-on career and yep. others where this is like a part-time gig to supplement to supplement money.
1: Yep. Okay. Older female prostitutes were known as, quote, boat girls, and they catered to itinerant sa- sailors and working class men. Okay. Tilly um, did not seem to run a similar operation for the gay sex market during this time because she believed it was not right. So she stuck primarily to uh, heteronormative
0: operations okay here's the thing gay people need sex too i know right (laughs) that and you know at the time that wasn't like accepted and bummer for her right i'm like she could have made so much more money i know that's Um, why i don't understand about it so
1: like like kate tilly's wealth was legendary although it was all earned from crime which I guess Kate's was, too.
0: <laughs> um, I was going to say.
1: <laughs> she owned much real estate in Sydney. She bought a bunch of luxury cars. She would keep gold and diamond jewelry. And she would travel first class in ships in the state rooms. Which...
0: Did she have a jaguar or a leopard or whatever uh, Josephine Baker had? No, I don't think so. Cheetah. Cheetah. That was it. I Named was going to say Chiquita. she needs some exotic cat to, like, Chiquita. pet sinisterly. Cheetah the cheetah. Cheetah cheetah. Um, <laughs> She also used
1: much of her wealth to pay bribes to the police and fines for her criminal convictions that spanned 50 years. Tilly faced numerous court summons and was convicted on 204 occasions during her long criminal career. She served many jail sentences, uh, mainly for sex work, violent assault, affray, and attempted murder. Jesus Christ. She was known to the police to be of a violent nature and was known to use firearms. She has no chill. No. <laughs> Jim Devine, so her husband, who was now at this point an ex-serviceman and shearer. So I'm guessing that's sheep.
0: I would, Oh, my God. That's so appropriate. We're drinking sheep super funny.
1: <laughs> Um, Was also known as a violent standover man. I don't know what that means maybe like an enforcer Maybe or like intimidator. I can see that. Um he was also also a convicted thief, a pimp, a drug dealer, a vicious thug and a gunman. Fuck man. He was also an alcoholic, just as a side note. Yeah. Um he co- he committed a, a number of high profile murders in Sydney between 1929 and 1931. Um I'm not going to go into like who he murdered because it doesn't really matter. This isn't his story. Um although he did shoot and kill one of them. Two of them, actually. Two people outside of his house. Like him and Tilly's house. Jesus. Yeah. That place is haunted. So I, I I mentioned him to bring up that him and Tilly's marriage was marred, absolutely marred by domestic assault
0: from both ends. They kind of just beat each other up. Jesus. I was going to say, like, she seems like... Here's the thing, uh, domestic abuse can happen to anyone, but she seems like a woman who would take shit to the extreme, so I have a hard time believing it would just be from him to her. Yeah. Yep. Like, she's a violent person in her own right. right? Yeah. Not to necessarily glorify that, I know we're doing that a little bit here, but it was, yeah. sounds super dysfunctional. Um, so, in
1: 1931, Jim did get charged at the, the court with attempted murder of his wife after a heated discussion. Um, at the time tilly ran out of their house at the end of the discussion and jim fired a number of shots at her similar into it to a way that he had murdered someone else oh um, however God. tilly escaped unscathed the only damage being to one of her brand new stilettos the left one
0: i just bought these you fucking right. son of a bitch um,
1: their terrified neighbors called the police and resu- that resulted in jim being arrested and charged he was later acquitted because tilly refused to testify
0: Yeah. That would probably bring her under some scrutiny too. Oh yeah. You know. It would have to.
1: They separated in the early nineteen forties and were finally divorced in nineteen forty four. Shortly after she separated from Jim, she became lovers with a longtime criminal associate known as Skinny Kenny, who then became her standoverman man. So I'm guessing yeah, he was like the intimidator. He was the he was the bruiser. How do
0: these people get their fucking nicknames? I don't know. What um, do you think? A minor so thing would she did be? end
1: up getting set married a second time, but not to Skinny Kenny.
0: <laughs> she got married to another ex
1: seaman and returned serviceman, Eric John Parsons. And she she famously shot Parsons in the leg after an argument only months after they were married. Jesus fucking Christ this occurred in their house, which was is the house opposite the notorious tradesman Arms Hotel, which maybe some people know what that is, and I don't. It says it's famous. Maybe we'll look it up. The, the funny thing is, that's where they met each other. <laughs> so, they met each other and then bought the house across the street. She was eventually arrested by police and charged with this shooting, but was acquitted, and they were happily married for 13 years until he died of cancer.
0: Oh. <laughs> so, maybe that relationship wasn't marred by horrible abuse? Or yeah, is- at
1: least after the shooting.
0: Yeah, uh, well... That was just her getting shit out of her system. Right? No, I'm kidding. That's super inappropriate. Women can abuse men. It's true. So she is known
1: as one of the most violent criminals in the game at that time. She uh, set fire to policemen, pulled apart a man's face with a razor, and generally slashed to ribbon any John who tried to catch her. Cross her. Holy shit. Yeah, that bitch was scary. Like, <laughs> that's terrifying. It's She... Pulled apart a man's face with a razor. Jesus.
0: Like. Ugh. Yeah. like You know when you see someone get their hand slammed in a car door and your hand feels weird? My face tingles in that <laughs> same yep, way. I know.
1: However, Tilly wasn't a one trick pony or maybe a one stab pony.
0: One stab slash and <laughs> shoot um, pony. She was a
1: real Renaissance woman, although it was all in crime. <laughs> <laughs> um, along with her talent for brothel running and violence, um, she also moved into the illegal booze trade, which I'll talk more about because obviously that directly interferes with Kate because she, remember, she ran the Sly Grog Tilly trade.
0: Tilly and Kate, um, pissed off criminals.
1: Yeah. So Tilly, um, was also brought down by the tax man and she was forced to pay 20,000 euros in unpaid income tax in 1955 and that sent her into bankruptcy. Um, in 53, Tilly boasted to the media, quote, I am a lucky, lucky girl. I have more diamonds than the Queen of England's stowaways and better ones, too. And then she got ripped a new one by the tax man. Fuck, man. Um, She sold off her last brothel in 1968 and died two years later. Um, She is known for her flamboyant acts of generosity and her violent feud. With Kate Lay, which I'll get into after this. She also had a feud with Detective (laughs) Sidney Farrell and was arrested by him on many occasions. And that feud lasted for 30 years.
0: You know, if this was a drama, they would have fallen in love and gotten married. It would have been really weird. Yeah. I'm making this movie. I'm completely fucking over history and I'm making this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Tilly suffered from bronchitis
1: for the last 20 years of her life and died from a mix of that and cancer at age 70. On November 24th, 1970.
0: Jesus Christ, who dies from bronchitis in the... do you say 40s or 50s? Uh, 70s. 1970. Oh, that's... What? (laughs) Like, I get cancer was in play, but Jesus. Her funeral service
1: was held at the Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Darlinghurst. And though Kate Lay's uh, funeral was attended by over 700 people, um... Her funeral service was poorly attended and her death went virtually unnoticed by Sydney's media and population. And it was said very few people openly mourned her death. Aww. The only public eulogy offered to Tilly was given by the then police commissioner Norman Allen, who said, quote, she was a villain, but who am I to judge her? End quote.
0: So even the cops that she was in direct opposition with were like, okay, come on. It does
1: say she was survived (laughs) by her son,
0: and two grandchildren. So
1: he went on to have kids.
0: Okay. I wonder where they are now. I know. That's such a, like, like my grandparents are great. I love them. Blah, blah, blah. But how cool is it to go into, like, first grade and be like, well, my great-grandmother was a drug lord and a madam, and she killed a bunch of people. Right. Like, you win kindergarten. So
1: Kate and Tilly both operated gangs to manage their business and uh, take care of their enemies. So when Tilly started moving into the legal booze trade, you know, Kate obviously took notice um, and kind of retaliated almost by opening her own brothels. Like, so they kind of like they started to kind of merge into each other's
0: stuff. Obviously this is not how the story ends, but I want no, this is them, like the middle of the story. But I want them to like kinda match each other, move for move, and then like yeah, have I a heated like argument. This. They make out and they leave their okay, men for happen. each other and um, start this incredible lesbian criminal empire.
1: So as the women became firm rivals, the gangs now knew their enemies, attacking each other on site with razor blades after Sydney outlawed guns. Huge fights of gang members cutting the living shit out of each other became a common sight in Sydney. The ceaseless violence between the two became known as the Razor Gang Wars.
0: I love how you wrote that. Cutting the shit out of each other. And that that's was actually not... pulled directly from one of my sources. Are you I'm fucking not serious? I'm not going to for that. Like, that yeah. shouldn't be funny. But, but here it is. I am.
1: <laughs> um... <laughs> However, the violence wasn't limited to street fights. Here are just some of the things Kate and Tilly did to each other. Bring it on. They ransacked each other's businesses and set fire to them, ordered rival gang members to be disfigured. One time they shot out Tilly's home and then her hu- Tilly's husband shot Kate's right hand man in the face. That was a thing.
0: Jesus. Is it October? Are we doing our felonious females this month? No. The war
1: didn't just play out via stabbings and via their underlings. Kate and Tilly liked to play one huge weapon on each other. PR. The two women, along with killing and mutilation, um, would use public relations to destroy each other in the papers. You know, like celebrities of the modern day.
0: Oh, my fucking God. Twitter wars.
1: Kate loved a, a good bit of PR, you see, and she wanted to be, be to be seen as Sydney's jovial mother figure. Sure, she might have shot and killed a couple of guys, but really underneath it all, she was just this nice lady who happened to run a criminal empire. You know, there's nothing wrong. the, The quote from my source was, you guys, people actually bought into this.
0: You know, there's nothing wrong with selling a little bit of cocaine and selling a little bit of sex and then killing a whole bunch of people. I'm putting the money back into the community. That's that's what it says. It says, here, have some hot dish. Calm down. Let's go to the local Lutheran church and calm
1: down. (laughs) It says, um, it wasn't difficult for Kate to become a beloved criminal. Tilly was famous for slashing johns and dousing policemen in petrol while Kate was making a very public show of donating some of her money to poor children and hosting Christmas for the city's poverty-stricken families. Holy
0: fucking shit. She
1: looked so much better than Tilly that it wasn't hard for her.
0: And they weren't doing anything different. They were both really bad people, but one of them just had a sense for the public eye, you know?
1: Even when being trailed by police, Um, Kate would find a good time for an old-timey photo op. I'll post that picture on our blog. Oh, my God. In one newspaper, it was even noted that the journalist took time to note that a detective followed Kate while she was bound on a noble errand of supplying food for the unemployed.
0: So someone is tailing her, and she's like, oh, I'm just donating food to the local food shelter. So obviously,
1: there was no way Tilly was going to get a better image than Kate. So she focused on tearing down Kate's image. Right. Right. Hold on, I've got to scroll down. No
0: wonder no one went to her fucking funeral,
1: right? Um, Tilly played up her English roots to, uh, in an appear to a bid to appear more classy, to be like, oh, I'm from, I'm from, I'm not even going to try, I'm too drunk. Oh,
0: um, I'm from jolly old England. I yeah, sit my
1: tea at um, noon every day. Oh, that's she would bad. often bring up Kate's childhood abuse to try and illustrate how rough Kate was. Um. And she was more than happy to trash her rival to any journalist she could find, saying, quote, I'm not like Kate Lay anyway. I might drink and have a run in with the police now and then, but I don't take dope and no one can say I have ruined young girls. Kate Lay does all this. I know she was a brothel madam. It makes no sense. I'm like, what? <laughs> um, but the, the women's tabloid fun and games was to end. In the early 1930s, police were hot on both of their heels, and after a series of armed brawls between their gangs, um, the net closed in. Tilly fled ho- home to England for several years. Why Kate wasn't so lucky? After a series of ra- raids, <laughs> raids, uh Kate was arrested, spending the next few years locked up. Obviously, Kate—I like this—obviously, Kate being Kate, she owned the prison. Yeah, she invited the warden's wife for tea and pretty much ruled over the other inmates. Jesus. But when she was released, Kate found herself in a very different world with drugs and illegal boozing now completely off Sydney's streets. Luckily for her, she managed to keep her brothel business running and uh, and therefore remained one of Sydney's wealthiest citizens. Tilly also landed on her feet and came back to Sydney and began, you know, re-operating her chain of brothels. Um, then in the 1940s, Kate and Tilly did the impossible. They called a truth and by now all their, because by now all their friends were dead or in jail and they really only had each other.
0: Oh my God. So basically it's like, okay, we've slashed and burned this entire community. Now There's we really only no have one other. left except each other. So let's shake hands and However, deal with it.
1: However, that didn't stop them from continuing to constantly tear each other a new one in the press.
0: Oh my God. They're such catty bitches. And that
1: is the story of Tilly Devine and Kate
0: Lay. Holy shit. You know. I'm so disappointed because they had this great opportunity to come together and be like, girl, I see you. Honey, right? I see empowered, you too. They could have empowered themselves so much more if they
1: would have just, like, empowered uh, each other.
0: I'm, like, mad at how that story ends. I know,
1: but I still love them. it's.
0: No, it's so cool because we always... I that,
1: like, it was like, oh, no, they didn't end up killing each other. They didn't get killed for their criminal things. Like, no, they got fucking taxed into like oblivion
0: that's how they get them like i don't want to get political but uh opponent man death and taxes yeah well opponents to trump are like he's gonna fall because of his taxes yeah like he doesn't like pay his fucking taxes a lot of people don't pay their fucking taxes but
1: particularly politicians
0: well i'm (laughs) particularly politicians well and i'm yeah, I'm sad that they didn't like come together and be like, "Hey, let's join forces and just woman out everyone else." Oh yeah, they had
1: a beautiful uh they had a beautiful chance that they could have taken and they didn't, and I'm a little sad.
0: I'm mad this wasn't like a lesbian criminal story, but that's still super cool because we hear about men all the time like running these incredible cam- criminal empires. Yes, yeah, so and I had here to let were two women. The, the women
1: that ran Sydney's criminal empire. Jesus Christ! That cups black.
0: Fucking a Australia, right? <laughs> Good on ya. Okay, Kelly.
1: What am I thankful for? <laughs>
0: the
1: smoothie and my awesome husband.
0: I mean, yeah, no, I finished off my smoothie, and that thing is delicious. And uh, I see you haven't made much of a dent in yours. No, you can't have it. Oh God, damn it! You know what, Kate should have empowered. Tilly and you should empower me to drink your fucking smoothie I am
1: getting I am getting my husband to order us pizza
0: (gasps) oh my god I could do some pizza this is what happens when we record two episodes in a row I get really drunk and I get really hungry yeah I'm very thankful for my husband no seriously him making us smoothies and like being supportive of us doing this podcast is really sweet I'm uh, I'm also thankful for my boyfriend who gave me a ride here today, so I can just get as drunk as I want, not have to worry we, about driving. We can home. finish off some of the last episode's wine. That's only like <laughs> half drunk because we had to do it on a weeknight. <laughs> we, we have like half bottles from like two weeks ago we that have we haven't finished three of yet. Them. Um, but what I'm super thankful for this week, if if you're done, yeah, I I'm don't want to cut you no, off. For it. I want you to be able to speak your piece. But what I'm really thankful for this week. So. Kelly and I obviously had July 4th off because that's uh, our Independence Day. Mm. And Jared and I, my boyfriend, we took advantage of it and visited his brother in Wisconsin about three and a half hours away. And we got to visit him, his wife, their kids, um, some other family members. And it was really great. I've ne- I haven't been out there. It's been like a year since Jared's been out there. And it's because he's so far away, you know, they're not – the family members we get to connect with on a yeah, personal level fun. as much. And especially because Jared and his brother were both overseas around the same time. And so for them to have that connection and be able to share that is really incredible. It was so sweet. They are incredible. And then um his brother, so Jared's sister-in-law was telling me some stories of, you know, when she's trying to raise two girls on her own. I'm not going to, like, share too much because I don't have permission, but, like, she's telling me these stories, and I'm like, you're a goddamn badass. Like, you were dealt a shitty hand, and you were like, this is the way it is. Let's watch as I get shit done. And she's just so incredible. She's such such a strong lady. And they welcomed us welcomed us into their home and it was it was just a really nice weekend it was a really great two days to see them and spend time with them cuz we really don't get that a lot so that's i'm nice. really thankful for that and that they have such a good relationship
1: i had to work on friday
0: that sucks i i took friday off otherwise i would have had to work
1: i took the friday before off to spend time with my husband
0: that's nice so, though yeah. that's right that's right, because uh, her husband was like, you and Emily aren't recording that Friday, right? Because you're mine. Yeah. And it not in a really, possessive shitty way. it was, really, no, it was way. really
1: cute. Like, it was like, it was... But uh,
0: I love you and I want to spend time with you kind of way.
1: It's because a new expansion came out for the video game we're playing, so that's what we did for three days. <laughs> nice. Love it. Except we didn't get to expansion content until, like, yesterday, so... <laughs> oh. <laughs> But that's because we stopped playing this game for like two years, so we missed like an entire expansion and a half. So we had to like finish all that shit first. Is but yeah, this, we're
0: nerds. Is this the Final Fantasy, Fantasy MMORPG? Yeah. Nice. We really like it. Final Fantasy fans Sponsor are throwing us. their hands in the air and going, woo! Yeah, I love it. Okay, so
1: thank you for joining us today. Um, feel free to reach out to us. Our website is com. And our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. We also have a Twitter, which is W-A-H
0: underscore pod. Because someone took W-A-H pod. I know. I, I
1: should look them up. We need to fo- I should follow them. follow them. Hold on. I
0: hope they're really cool. Okay. Kelly's going to do this while I do my plug shit.
1: Yeah. I'm like, come on. You're supposed to pick up after me.
0: Follow us on Facebook at herstery, Instagram at W-A-H pod, Um.
1: We'd love to hear about any women in your life or yourself or women from history you'd like us to cover.
0: Are you doing cool shit? Tell us about it. Are you doing cool art? Tell us about it. Do you have a feminist stamp collection? Tell us about it. Are you just kind of like feeling overwhelmed by life and you need some advice? Fucking tell us about it. I get it, man. We are like we struggle and it's great to be able to connect with people and be able to share our experiences. So please email us. And write us five stars wherever you listen. It's super helpful. And are you still looking up that person on Twitter?
1: Yes, and I am okay with it because it's the Women Advocacy on HIV, HIV and AIDS, and <gasps> Prevention of Other Diseases. Oh my God, that's so appropriate. It's not like a site I can follow, but that's that's who has that tag. Can like, we follow them? No, they what don't, they don't like have like they're not like a people. Oh, so. They don't have a profile. No, it's weird.
0: Okay. Well, we're going to do some more research because that's that's incredibly appropriate. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Sorry. (laughs) And have an empowered
1: day. Bye. Bye.